0: Welcome to another episode of Adding Context, a podcast of compelling conversations centered on advancing and enhancing the human experience. I am your host, Michael Bollins. Today I'm talking to Dr. Lori Latimer-Volkman. Um, I will let her do the honors of introducing herself and what she does.
1: All right, well, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to be on the show. I currently am teaching journalism and Reporting classes at College of Charleston, and my background is varied and long and not all that interesting. But I have I've been teaching college journalism related classes for almost 20 years, and I'm also kind of a a big sports fan. So I've been writing for one of the SB Nation NFL blogs for the Denver Broncos because I'm a I'm originally from Colorado and a huge Broncos fan, and so I have this you know, very academic journalism, media role as a professor. And then I get to be kind of irreverent as a blogger. So it's fun. <laughs> so
0: you were, uh, I guess you grew up as a Broncos fan, so it's gotta be fun reporting on your childhood
1: favorite. Team, yes. very yeah. much. I, I didn't, um, I didn't even plan ever to be a sports writer. Like I've always liked sports, but as a journalist, that wasn't my main interest for writing and reporting. And so, when I kind of came into the the sports writing field, kind of kind of backwards, and it had I had written a a blog post after Peyton Manning and the Broncos lost the Super Bowl to the Seahawks, and that kind of led me to Mile High Report, which is the the SB Nation blog for the Broncos, and they you know asked if I'd be interested in writing more about the Broncos and. Like a... I don't think I have much to say, <laughs> as it turns out.
0: <laughs> you clearly do.
1: I've had, I know I've been saying a lot for. I let's see, that was 2014, so for you know six years. So <laughs> here we are,
0: having fun with that one. Do so you get, Yeah. Are you generally on the sidelines, or are you kind of reporting, so to speak, from a distance with that?
1: Oh, definitely from the distance. Like we're as a as a blog, we only have on our staff. I think we have two people who actually live in Denver. Yeah. And even then, because we're a because we're a blog, the denver the Denver Broncos are very protective about their media access, which is kind of annoying. They're you know every NFL team is a little different. So like the SB Nation writers for the Atlanta Falcons, for example, they have just as much access as any of the local media and national media for that matter. And the Broncos are very particular. they only give out credentials to certain people and it's kind of a point of contention honestly because some of the people that get it you know are just shock jocks on radio and we're always trying to argue that we're we have far more journalistic integrity just even though we're a blog and it's more about regularity they want they want people who can be there every day or you know every day that they have the practice during the yeah during the regular season so so they so that's their rationale but and we, you know, they. So we're on like their mailing list. We get all the transcription, all the interviews, we get all the post game stats, but we never get it right away. So we're, you know, it sort of forces us to never be breaking news, which right. isn't our role. But at the same time, it'd be nice. You know, we. It would. It'd be nice because we have we have a couple people who are like, like most of our people are just. Fans and have a have a real interest in football and definitely an interest in the Broncos and so I mean they they're all football uh, Broncos fans but they also you know have a an interest in breaking down football right tape and and talking football strategy and stuff um, which is not really my reason but for you know for writing but we you know we have that group there so we definitely have football experts who can be reporting on this and we don't get access so we we mostly just complain about that <laughs>
0: <laughs> um so you kind of touched on two words that really why I wanted to talk to you uh journalistic integrity and for somebody who is kind of sits in you know the back row of everything it seems to be sorely lacking um would you agree that that doesn't seem to exist oh, anymore
1: yeah and i always um like to distinguish between the types of media, because I do think there's p- lots of integrity among the traditional mainstream newspapers, which are, you know, they're not even though it we would I would call it print, but, you know, they're mostly online. I mean, that's the way most of us are reading them. Right. Um, and television news. I mean, there are plenty of good reporters in TV news, but TV news has a whole different purpose and it isn't to explain what's happening it isn't to get into the nitty-gritty and the details and the you know and the how and the why it's mostly to just kind of give you the the headlines and and try to help you understand how it's going to affect you which and and they have to do this in like a minute and a half so it's not always their fault they it's the medium just isn't built for understanding and comprehension and so that in today's world when you're covering the you know so many crazy headlines every day or so many things happening both in our, our country as well as the world, not to mention your own local municipality and your state. There's just so much. Yeah. And they so the natural inclination, of course, is to gravitate to the simple, the thing that's going to be easiest to understand, as well as the thing that's going to be the most interesting to a very broad uh, audience, and by broad, then that means you know not your, not necessarily your highly educated, wanting to get into the the policy details of information. Right. It's people just wanting to know how is this going to affect my job or my life or my kids or whatever. And so the you know when you have this, you have to appeal to such a wide group like that, you have to go with simple and usually you know kind of kind of salacious because yeah. that. You know you're going to get an audience like that, and so we see that time and again. Now, even in our coverage of such important events out of Washington, that you know, the easiest thing to cover is the latest stupid thing that Trump said versus <laughs> the, you know, versus the 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 real, you know, idiosyncrasies of. Russian interference in the election, right. you know, like there's a lot there and there, and there's a lot to look at or, or COVID. I mean, to, to really get into the science and the, and the medicine behind this disease is a lot. So it's a lot easier to just bash Trump for talking about cases and not deaths, which is fair, but it also doesn't tell the whole story. And so right. I think I always feel like print reporters in general, what they're doing in their reporting and in their story writing, there's plenty of integrity and good reporting and good journalism. T V reporters, even some you know, the same. Some you know, they the story they put together often is pretty is pretty decent. But in the moment where they're at the press briefing or on social media or you know, even the print when they're when they're writing their headline, they do the thing that is gonna get attention and they're trying to to grab audience share. And so you always go for the lowest common denominator. And that's where the integrity breaks down day after day after day. And then, you know, and then by doing that constantly, it kind of leads to a, I mean, a practice like that. And so CNN, which honestly has some really good journalism, but then they'll go and do their whatever, whichever news talk show and they put the most extreme person on the right and left that they can to have a debate. It's like nobody has a debate when you have the extremists on uh, either side. They just yell at each other.
0: I remember the and, uh, the, the show Crossfire um, a number of years ago. Yeah. And you know they they tried to pit that as you know the left versus the right. And as somebody who sits in the middle, of things I try to look to, for the objective truth. Um, I've actually run for both Congress and my local state assembly. Because I'm tired of the two-sided nonsense, um, right. It, it looks more showmanshippy than really getting into nuanced information.
1: Exactly, <clears throat> exactly. And you know I um, recently on my my podcast, we talked about both sides journalism, which has also ruined the integrity of reporting where and and I would say all of them, you know, the the New York Times at the forefront are guilty of this, where, in really in fear of being labeled as biased, they do this thing where, well, if we have the liberal, then we have to have the, we have to have the conservative, or if we right. have the Democrat, we have to have the Republican.
0: You're talking and about it, your, uh, your estate sales podcast. Right. Which yeah. is amazing, and, by the way.
1: <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> and so to do, you know, when you when you just try to boil an argument down to two different sides and give both of them the same weight, uh, it, you know, it ruins. It it doesn't help people understand the story. Particularly right now, when one side is lying yeah. and you treat them as as you know as if it doesn't matter. Well, that's what they say, and this is what they say. We're not going to tell you which one's true. You have to decide. But you may not be able to decide because you you don't really have all the facts. You don't have all the details. The reporter's job is to tell you. Right. <laughs> and i think I think it didn't used to be so bad because they were we you know we didn't have a group of people lying specifically about the information right. And so both sides did end up being two different groups or three or you know different groups. Viewpoint on the same set of facts, and you, you know, sometimes that's not that still isn't legit, but oftentimes it was more just, you know, it it could become obvious the way. Well, they're saying it this. They're looking at the facts this way. They're looking at the facts this way. Now it's one group is using facts and one group is not. (laughs) I I (laughs) wholeheartedly
0: agree that the the two-sided reporting that you were talking about. I think that if anything, that, that muddies the water, so to speak, far more. I mean, we already live in a time where it's hard to really find the truth in anything that's being said. And right. even some of the most really obscure things that really sound horrifically skeptical or, or turn out to be truthful. But when you're reporting, like you said, it has to go from this side and this side, not the side of the truth. It, it just makes it that much more complicated for the standard person, as you said, likes to kind of get the meat and potatoes of the, of what the story is and make their determination off of that. I mean, I, Kind of go back to the old Walter Cronkite mentality of you know hear the facts and have a good night kind of thing.
1: Right, and see that that worked when you it was just then a reaction to the same set of facts. Now it's one side saying, hey, they like it's 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 Trump saying first of all the news media can't be trusted, so whatever the New York Times says, don't believe that. Just believe me, and and what he's saying is not even factual i mean you can you can look it up you can you can verify that it is not truthful and so then but you and here's the thing people the general i don't know about the general public i I mean readership is is pretty high at the at these national papers like the washington post and the new york times especially it has increased in the last couple years um but you know the the average person isn't really getting into the weeds with Political news and and federal government news, and so they they tend to watch TV or get the headline get the headlines online, but from their TV source, you know NBC News or CNN or Fox, Fox whichever. Sorry. um Do you think? And the- sorry, I was just gonna say, and so so because of that, you, they don't have they don't even have the interest necessarily to really find out if it's true or not they're like that's not their reason for listening to news they're just trying to get you know basically stay up to date and i have to remind myself all the time that you know even half of my family is not nearly as concerned about this shit show in washington as i am (laughs) and and so i'm reading everything and i'm like you know i'm just i'm reading so many sources and so many stories and i'm absorbing so much and the average person probably gets a tenth of that just because they that isn't their interest. They just want to kind of know a little bit, you know, just to not be, you know, probably just to kind of right and keep up a little bit with, you know, who's running against Trump and what's the COVID situation. And, you know, so yeah. because of that, you just have so many people that all they're going to do is go to TV. And when they just get the two sides thing, they don't necessarily know one is true and one isn't. And, and so by making sides,
0: though half the time. Well that's what I'm saying. It's like
1: but when they right, (laughs) they present it like it is. If if you watch Fox News, they they just they just lie. I mean it is not anywhere close to journalistic reporting. To the point that I Yeah, right? No. I won't even let my students use it anymore, you know, when they want to do current events or they want to do their social media stuff. I'm just like you can't use Fox and (laughs) I hate to you know I'm telling you it's because it is not I, I can't trust it. Some yeah. of some of it is decent, like it's actual news. But if you're gonna use Tucker Carlson or Sean Hannity, you know it's as likely to be a KKK conspiracy theory. So I can't, <laughs> no way.
0: Yeah, two people that have their heads so far up Trump's ass. It's not funny.
1: Oh my gosh! It's, it's also clear it's that unbelievable.
0: He, that's kind of where he gets his current events. It's just it's an I echo know. chamber form, which is just oh ridiculous and absurd for somebody who is technically and theoretically the most powerful man in the world kind of thing. It's, it's mind boggling as somebody who sits back and I, like I said, I try and look for the objective truth. I can't for the life of me find a rational reason why anybody could still support him.
1: I know, but I, I know. And I tell I say that to myself all the time. And then you realize that if they have essentially isolated themselves in the, in the Trump world bubble, which is listening to Trump and listening to Fox news, you actually can. I mean you can you can understand that they they think we're all crazy. You know, like it's we're just we've been brainwashed by the left by you know the radical extremists and somehow it's been a conspiracy between not just the mainstream media but also every other country in the world. Right. <laughs> except except Russia and you know like it's insane. It is completely insane. And that's the real been one of the biggest dangers of Trump is he is just He has delegitimized, no, I don't think that's the word, delegitimized (laughs) all of our institutions that we have normally relied on for information and fact, you know, whether, whether it's a government institution or, uh, you know, the, the media. I mean, he's, he hasn't, he's made people even not believe his own government. I mean, he doesn't like to believe his own intelligence officials and his own, which is, you know, but, problematic. Until he, it was so problematic and you know until he started putting his cronies and his loyalists in charge of like homeland security and the justice department um yeah so it's, it's a farce those things are you can't rely on them
0: yeah i i think the the term you used before shit show is it's <laughs> it's pretty on point because it, it it's a joke i mean nobody i don't think any other administration has had the kind of turnover that he has in such high profile cabinet positions and you know, the the joke of of his administration. And yeah, objectively, there have been a few things that I think he's done that have been the right thing, objectively. Um, right. Well, not so popularly, but overwhelmingly, I mean, the number of policies that he's either put in place that have done damage or have removed, um, but kind of staying on the same vein of politics, but slightly shifting. The thought of objectively screaming about what a, a particular issue, whatever it might be, but not putting out a, a viable solution or any solution at all. Do you see that as another, I guess, component to the problem of politics in, in the country at the moment?
1: What do you mean for the government to not be putting out a viable solution? Well, or
0: I mean, a lot of people, I mean, both senators, Congress, anybody that's in Congress, they kind of sit there and they, they get on their soapbox, and this is the problem, and this is the problem, and this is the problem, and this is who we blame. And but rather than following that up with, and this is how we can fix it, it's just constantly being beaten down. Of these are all the problems. This is who to blame, and you, know, you can't blame us, but we don't have any solutions either.
1: I mean, yeah, I think. I mean, I think there is some of that, but I wouldn't say that that's the overwhelming problem in Washington. I do think a big problem in the last eight. 12 years has been this idea that the Republicans really started, you know, once Obama came into power, we're not going to pass a single thing. We're not going to work on this. And so then what that does is that lends itself to, we tried to offer something, but you won't work with us. So we're blaming you. And then we're blaming, then they blame the other because you didn't do what we did like. But, you know, I really, I really truly blame Mitch McConnell And the Republican Party for just basically saying, we are not going to let this black man run the country and we're going to do everything we can to oppose his policies, whether good or bad. Like they just they refused to discuss it, which is insane.
0: I mean, they flat out said exactly what you said. I mean, I was almost verbatim what I recall McConnell saying. And then once Trump gets in power, they flip the script entirely and become complete insane hypocrites um right you know the perfect example is is some of the uh supreme court justices is there's potential where one might a seat might be up before the end of the year before the election and mcconnell is now all will absolutely fill it if it it becomes open but you know they didn't want to do that at the end of trump uh obama's turn Um,
1: yeah i mean it was a year it was a whole year before obama's term was up right and they wouldn't let Merrick Garland be um, confirmed or even, you know, come before the Senate for confirmation hearings. Yeah, the- and here, yeah, they're like, two months before the election, they'll be fine trying to fill that seat. Because that's been their goal. Their right. goal is been, right. and this is why they put up with Trump, because what they really wanted is just to you know, gain as much power as possible across the board. So they put in people who don't have experience, but do have a an agenda. Yeah. A very theirs. conservative yes agenda. And so they will you know and put this get pack the court with conservative justices that will impact American law for the next 50 years easily. So, you know, they've and they've already basically done that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even even if we change Power at the White House in November and at the Senate, the Democrats are going to have to do a lot to overcome what's happened at the Supreme Court.
0: You yeah. Know, and you know. I think what some people or a lot of people don't realize is it's it's kind of easy to enact a law, but it's nearly impossible to retract it or even adjust it yeah. to make to where it actually makes sense. And it, it is fair as it's meant to be. I mean, look at the complaint with the ACA that Republicans have been beating that down for since its inception, though, is it the perfect uh, legislation? No, clearly not. There's problems with it, but they've been beating at it and saying we got to repeal it, we got to repeal it. But they've not yet once offered up any type of legitimate solution, or even saying, "All right, well, this is the component that's bad, so we'll pull this, we'll redact this, and put this new piece in, and it makes sense, it makes everybody happy." Um, it, it's just it's it's frustrating that the level of hypocrisy and the arrogance and the power mongering that seems to be going on in Washington. It's, it's just.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) I I think, I think the arrogance is a a great word for what's going on. I mean, I think when it comes to ACA, Obama would be the first one to tell you it doesn't do enough. It wasn't, it wasn't the bill he wanted. It was the bill he thought he could get passed. And that was the one he got passed, but you know, and, and it would have worked better if, Republicans had, and and states had worked to promote it and do the things to get a whole bunch of people on it, and then you know premiums don't go up because right. you have so many people on. But whatever. <laughs> uh, apparently, that simple math didn't get communicated.
0: There's there's a but, lot of simple things that seem to lose oh, favor in
1: Washington. I know, I know, and so there, but there, I think with ACA, they totally underestimated. That people actually do want their their health care. So when they they never really intended to have a great idea, they just figured it was it was more like a campaign mantra, right? You know, right. get rid of ACA, get rid of Obamacare, repeal Obamacare. But they, when people were like, "Well, what are you going to do?" Because I actually want some health care, right? <laughs> like, they,
0: they demonize well, things and not, like I said, you know, they don't really offer up yeah. any solutions of how to fix things. They just like screaming that this is bad and, and this is who to blame for and
1: and part of that is they don't really want to help people with health care you know like they the people who are paying them are the lobbyists for big pharma and the health insurance companies so in those com- those people don't really want cheaper health care and health care for everybody because it makes you know they don't make as online. much money that way right so
0: there's a lot of problems in, in medical fields and with dealing with hospitals oh, and, and everything like that. And I, I just wish that our government would function a little, Oh, I don't know. Better. <laughs>
1: well, the thing is, right. And and for our government to function better, th- those leaders have to have the best interest of the people in mind rather than their own profit. And, you know, that's, that is a bipartisan problem. Right. I won't, say that democrats just are all you know altruistic and they're the only ones that care but they truthfully have been the only ones really trying to do something the republicans in the last three and a half years have been honestly very blatant about their their total lack of care to anybody other than the billionaires yeah (laughs) typically
0: the lame (laughs) duck session is supposed to happen at the end of you know terms but this entire administration has been lame duck
1: yeah but mostly because i mean the democrats you know the house now since 2018 has passed lots of things
0: but But the house has but it doesn't go anywhere right right but the senate doesn't want right mcconnell doesn't want to make anybody look good even though it's clearly in the best interest of the country as a whole
1: which is very interesting (laughs) i'm sure you saw this you know over the weekend kentucky the you know the the people in Kentucky are doing horribly after COVID, and so they're like, "We want, we need, we need our our stimulus checks, we need unemployment, we, you know, all the things that McConnell doesn't want to do." And he's been, you know, adamant that they're, you know, we we're going to go on recess. Like he hasn't been interested at all in keeping these discussions going.
0: That's because I mean, the that's House. Blatant.
1: The House passed, you know, passed something two months ago, sent it to them. They haven't even taken it up. And then Mnuchin tries to argue that the Democrats are the ones arguing in bad faith and not listening. And the Democrats are like, that's because you're not giving people anything. You're, right. you're trying to cut stuff. We, we, we gave you a proposal. Now you guys come up with something. And the Republicans couldn't even come up with their own proposal because they can't agree on how much to help people because they don't really want to help people. Right. <laughs> and, and so McConnell really just got caught in his own bluff, like, okay, well, I'm I'm actually up for re-election, and it's actually getting a little close, and I'm going to have to pretend like I care about Kentuckians <laughs> yeah. because they're mad at me now because they, they're all poor and don't have you know their stimulus check because of COVID. Right.
0: So, and, and I think that... Part of the another, I guess, overwhelming problem that I see is the politis politicization of things like COVID. You know, the things that are objective, truth, and clear and you know, like wearing a mask is, is become a political thing. COVID yeah. is a political thing. And these are things that really should not be swayed because your party doesn't believe it and the other party does, and it's a conspiracy. It's you know, it's it's a global pandemic. It's it's quite evident that this is a real thing. And that wearing a mask helps and, and to have yeah. a group of people drag their feet and say, Oh, you know, it's not a big deal. It'll, it'll pass. You know, we, we, if we didn't test as much, it, we wouldn't have as many cases. Well, no shit. I mean, that's
1: yeah. And honestly, to begin with, they didn't even, to begin with, they didn't even just drag their feet. They tried to act like it was a hoax. I mean, February 28th, Donald Trump was here in Charleston at a rally and he says from the stage covid's a, a democratic hoax and then a week later we have cases in the u.s
0: <laughs> like, and, it's only and then a month sense. later
1: we have yeah and then a month later we have you know thousands of people getting it like it, it they he, he has been so destructive for this you know i mean for america well, not and a... it
0: pandemic response uh, plans essentially that Obama had implemented and and the resources that were allocated to I mean you go back, it was five years ago when Obama made a comment and he's like "You know, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when and if we do this now we'll be a little more prepared for it and one of the first things that Trump did when he got in there was just starting to tear everything down that Obama did just because Obama did it and then he goes to try to take credit for things that Obama did like um, something (laughs) which the veterans said
1: like the military um, the veterans (laughs) administration aid which all he did was you know extend it something that obama had started like it's he is he is the worst person too and and the republicans most of them know that and they're they're just fine covering it up i think there's a subset of these gop people kind of the newer crowd that they they're right in there with him. you know they're they're as crazy and as conspiracy theory believing (laughs) as he is
0: I, I do uh, like that but, there's a group of republicans coming out um pretty pretty hard against him.
1: Uh, yeah, the Lincoln, the Lincoln Project,
0: Project? Yeah. I I kind of get my daily dose of humor from the way that they destroy him. It's it's spectacular. They,
1: I know. And what's great is, you know, it's definitely throwing the Trump campaign for a loop. Like they don't quite know what to do with this because you know, it's they can't all say they're that just it's taking
0: Democrats coming after him. It's it's their own party coming after him now.
1: And it's you know they're just taking clips that are I mean they they're not even doctoring anything unlike the Trump campaign that likes to doctor all their um, Joe Biden videos black but, market gate yeah yeah <laughs> exactly so
0: you um since we're kind of on the topic of of Trump your uh your other podcast or your is it your only podcast or is it just one of your multiple um, ventures
1: <laughs> it's it's the only one that I well it's I, it's it's one of t- two that one is my political outtakes with my friend Brad. And then I also do one with mile high report, you know, our Broncos blog. And I'm one of a, there, we actually have like four podcasts at the, at that blog. And the one I do is there's three of us that, you know, are, are all talking on the podcast. And, on the so it's just Broncos.
0: Got it. <laughs> do you think uh, we're going to actually have a, NFL season that's going to make it all the way through.
1: I I actually do. I mean i I, I say that with a, a big asterisk by it, but because I only know sort of how it's working at the Broncos facility, and I think you know we've we've had two Broncos who actually had COVID early on in March and April. You know during kind of the whole lockdown and um dirt you know early before there was any real formulation of how the season was going to play, was going to work out. And, um, and I think because of two players having it, they, they can really impress upon the rest of their teammates. This is serious. Don't screw around when you leave the facility. Right. And at the facility that, you know, the NFL for one has tons of money. The Broncos Mm. as an organization have always been very good at taking care of players, you know, having top end facilities and, and things, I, mean, and, and I don't think every team has that, but every NFL team has money. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, so they have, you know, they, they basically have as good a technology as you can have. The Broncos, for example, you know, they have to wear the masks, of course. And, you know, the, there's all these rule protocols that the NFL and the NFLPA have laid out. But then the Broncos, they also have these trackers that apparently are keeping track of if players and coaches are closer than six feet away for wow. longer than 15 minutes it you know beeps so they know they have to disperse <laughs> I, know, I know right and and since we're finding out that the masks do quite a bit um and there's also they get a spray they get a mist that they're sprayed with i think before each practice that is supposed to help in sort of like very short term protection hmm. so I mean, if you're if you're going to be safe, I think it's at an NFL facility. the yeah. The difference, of course, will be if, if these guys are smart when they go home, and right. you know, and their and their families that they're with or their you know are are smart. Like they're just going to have to be very disciplined, and it's five months of discipline, and <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> you know, it's not like the NBA where they're in a bubble. So
0: yeah, that's I think the NHL point, has Done really well with that. With their two bubbles, right? I mean, they've been right. They four have four weeks. I they think, have. and almost eight thousand tests and. Nobody's tested positive, and being a as right. big of a hockey fan as I am, I'm elated <laughs> that they're doing so well.
1: Um, I know. So the NFL is going to have to, you know, like take from that experience that the bubble really works. So you have to kind of create your own bubble because right. we can't obviously do an NFL bubble yeah, the same it's way. Kind
0: of hard to cram all those football teams into a yeah of places.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> um, exactly.
0: Any other sports that you follow aside from football, or is football your just your your primary good? well
1: football thing. is i i follow baseball but and this year it's a little easier because you know <laughs> similar they plus half of them are dropping like flies because yeah, they're, they're not doing the bubble. season i know but <laughs> so i'm a cubs fan and so that's good because they're doing well and they're staying healthy <laughs> <Good> <laughs> and they're problem. leading so i, I kind of hope the season just ends and we can say cubs won <laughs> <laughs> cubs win the championship
0: um so i'm gonna circle back around to the estate sale um, because that's just a lot of fun content out of that. Um, (laughs) The gentleman that you do the show with, somebody that you've known for a while, do you teach with just through journalism? Yeah.
1: It's actually an interesting um, relationship. We grew up together in um, back in Colorado and we went to, our families went to the same church. And, um, and so if you haven't noticed from our conversations, there's, we talk a lot about, how disappointed we are in Christianity as a you know in general and particularly the the church and and the white evangelical church um but we I wouldn't even say like I really knew him he's about five years older than me so I went to the same schools he did but he was so far ahead of me I didn't really you know know him at, right. you know at, in in school and stuff it was really just through through church and then his but um, you know, our families have stayed friends. So like I've, but we definitely, we reconnected on Facebook like everybody does, you know, or has the last five years, I'd say. And then, um, and so and then because of Trump and because he was, he rants on Facebook even more than I do. Like really? I'll do it. I'll do a couple posts a day and maybe not even every day. He's like 10, 15 posts every single day. And I, so I joked at them one day I'm like we need to do a podcast because you need an outlet
0: <laughs> before he has an aneurysm yeah he definitely uh, like, he doesn't hold back
1: no no and he is he's a history professor and so he's you know he definitely can't stand the um, just the lack of knowledge by the general Populous, i'd say when it comes to you know government and and our history and how our american history you know shows that we you know we have not been we have not made as much progress as we'd like to think we
0: have (laughs) yeah i'm i'm trying to remember who said it i think it might have been joe rogan years ago he brought up the fact or i could be completely off base with that but somebody said years ago that if the founding fathers woke up nowadays and looked at the constitution and they'd be baffled that we haven't expanded it and and worked out a lot more of the kinks that we, we have,
1: I think, <laughs> Yeah. You know. I hope that's true. I mean, sometimes I look at it and I think, you know, when half of them were white slave owners, you wonder, you know, and they, they, their idea of, of a voting democracy was elite educated people. You know, I wonder if they would, if they'd be happy or, I mean, would be, would want us to expand or would think,
0: you would mean, you let all much. these other people vote too? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the first <laughs> handful of words it's you know we the people and you know it's all about being created equal but they clearly didn't have equality in mind and yeah i I think that we've definitely have some room to work with but we've also done a lot in the fact that you know women and pretty much almost everybody until you get the republicans playing with things everybody has the opportunity to vote
1: Right. Well, and to their credit, to the founding fathers credit, what they did do is recognize that the world would change and you know, even if they weren't necessarily envisioning uh, you know, other people other than the uh, a white elite class voting, they they kind of knew that it it would have to. Right. So, we can't, you know, we need to make this broad. So I, I so I joke when I say they would they would wonder if we <laughs> did too much, but I do think they might be appalled that we, you know, that the people who are voting are often as, you know, uninformed and uneducated as they are yeah. about what's going on.
0: I, I think that's a big factor is is the willingful ignorance on on a lot of topics, and you know, part of that I think has to do with the fact that we've got so much information and, and yeah, that instant gratification yeah. in our pockets. It, it's hard to really dig through everything that's being said especially during election cycles, which I really have a problem with how long our election cycles are. I think that's another oh, big yeah. component as to why it's so bad. But you're not giving people anything to really grasp on to solidify an opinion, an educated and informed opinion. It's so much mud and and nonsense and ego. It's just frustrating.
1: Yeah. <laughs> It is you're right. I mean, like I said there there's a lot of good stuff out there, but it's not always the loudest. In fact, it's usually not the loudest. The loudest are nonsense. you know. Right. And so so what so what two things happen, well, maybe three. One group realizes that's noise and nonsense and I'm going to go read or I'm going to go watch. Or, I mean, you know, I'm going to I know what to look for to find decent information. Then you have another group that Hears the noise and that's all they hear, so that's what they believe. And then you have another group, which is probably the the most disappointing, is a group that is just so it's so overwhelming and also so annoying that the better thing to do is just to shut it off. Right. And you know, and and so then that's that maybe the willing ignorance but it's almost a it's not because they want to be ignorant it's because they're just too tired or too you know it seems too hard to figure out what what's right and what's true fear. and what's information which was a lot easier when we had three networks and a daily newspaper you know one daily newspaper for your for your city or and you had a few sources but they basically again they were basically starting with the same information too. We, we weren't allowing just everybody with an opinion to get out there and talk about it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I think that's one show that I think really nailed what it was to be a news company was newsroom, which I loved. Uh, I was so disappointed that they kind of ended it. So briefly. Yeah. But I really, really, really wish that they would implement their idea of a, uh, yeah. presidential debate. I mean, it's a real debate, not these canned questions. And then there's conspiracies. Oh, well, this person had, you know, the, the questions adv- in advance, so they could form their answers. It's, it's a joke. The,
1: the <laughs> debates are a joke. I, I couldn't, I didn't even watch the Democratic primary debates mostly because I, I hate that format. I hate the, I hate expecting somebody to drill down their ideas in two minutes, but at the same time, try to discredit somebody else because you're trying to make sure your ideas get heard more. And so, you know, they go into those things trying to come up with the ways they are going to fight. And so it like it is, there is not one single good thing that comes out of it. You do not learn anything new that you couldn't, that you won't learn from their own websites or from, you know, an introspective article. Th- there's nothing what you do learn is you know maybe who's a fast talker and <laughs> you know and you and you learn how nasty trump can be oh, you yeah. know and you oh, like yeah. it just you you maybe you learn that but sadly americans seem to like that part of trump they're like i love that he speaks his mind like, yeah
0: but his mind he has is no so, mind <laughs> is so deteriorated it's it's frustrating <laughs> i mean
1: so one of the reasons why
0: i i kind of Wanted to get my podcast off the ground um, was because I think that we have too many people have really good, interesting, intelligent things to say, but they get caught up in a soundbite, and then it's misconstrued. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, and not having the opportunity to really expand on an idea, to frame it the way that it needs to be framed, so it's, it can't really be taken out of context. I think that's kind of sorely missing. For a lot of people, right, myself included,
1: and I, I've mentioned this before. I mean, the genie is sort of out of the bottle on that. Like, it, it's not like we're going to be able to take social media back, right? Um, and and so, but, you know, the the I think there are there are a lot of people like you and me who just understand that this isn't per, there. There's so much that can be approved upon with the information I'm getting, and so. You know, at some point there really are enough people that upset with their choices or 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 the things they've been choosing. So they're looking for podcasts. And um, my favorite thing, my favorite, uh, my biggest sermon of late is this explanatory journalism where they want analysis. It's not just here are the facts, figure it out or here are two sides or whatever it is. Here is. Here is all this information, but my job as a reporter is to explain to you what it actually means and what the context is and how it's going to affect you. And it's to do that without a partisan viewpoint, but a truthful viewpoint. Right. Like I'm coming at you with this is this is what it is. This is what it will mean. Not that this is what Democrats want. This is what Republicans want.
0: Right. Well, I mean, and like I you said before, hope that it
1: rises to the top <laughs> at some point.
0: <laughs> I mean, it sounds like it's a, a technical article which is kind of what we need I think nowadays where it can't be slighted and people can't say well that's just a left-leaning thing or a right-leaning thing it's it leans towards the facts it leans toward the truth and it's objective truth and that's why you should believe it
1: right <laughs> and we do have a problem with I mean this is what part of what you know some of the real danger of Trump has been that he has really made um facts and and science be questionable like no, <laughs> there's a
0: lot it's, of
1: that. <laughs> yeah, and so when you can't trust, when you don't, where you don't think you can trust, a you know what the science tells us, or you don't understand that you know, that, like right now this is what we understand about coronavirus, this is the science, but it will change, and we're not lying to you, we're just discovering more. Right. But when you just can't even trust your institutions, then you're we're lost. I mean, we like we. This is, this is how you get Hitler, honestly. A lot of people like to point to, are we in the 1940s? No, of of Germany. We're actually in the 1930s of Germany where there was a, there was a huge distrust and a huge need. People were, were poor and starving and, um, and there, so Hitler comes in and tells them things they, they want to hear and also makes them distrust Everything. Anything other than what he's saying, you know, and it, that's when you get that blind loyalty that will that will allow you to do things that you think are, would normally think are abhorrent or awful or, you know, but you've been convinced that this is the only way. And we're I do fear where we have a segment of our population definitely headed that way.
0: I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And I, I think it's kind of comical that there is a number of people from the Republican side of the aisle that are screaming that. The left is going more socialist and, and they're fascist and, and they're trying to implement their own dictator. But that's kind of who we have in office at the moment. I mean, he says <laughs> yeah. what he once he, he, he tries to undermine every ounce of objective fact and sense of truth that we have as a society to, to knock down on, on Fauci for a few errors that he made out of the gate of this. You know, it's called a novel coronavirus for a reason. It means it's brand new. We're still right. learning on
1: it. Right.
0: Give the scientists some time to really digest and, and some things you need time to develop so you can see what, how it reacts to things and, and see how it interacts with the human body. And to bash right. him on things that he's said or done, you know, years ago for something that's not the coronavirus that we're dealing with, the, you know, COVID-19, it, it's, it's disingenuous and it's insanely detrimental.
1: Yeah. And I've mentioned this before um on our podcast that one of the things that drives me nuts is that we have a lot of people who really don't understand the definition of socialism and anarchism and fascism. Absolutely. And they interchange them like they're all the same and they're all bad. And anybody you disagree with is a fascist or a Marxist or a socialist. And they'll call the same person a Marxist and a communist like, mm, no, or don't a know. socialist. <laughs> And a fascist, like you, you, right. You have no, all you know, is it's not a democratic, capitalistic, you know, definition. So you're against it. But, and, you know, my, my least favorite one is socialism, because I feel like, first of all, you know, this thing that Joe Biden is some left radical extremist, and we're all going to, you know, we're going to become socialist is insane.
0: Right. Especially
1: knowing Joe Biden, you know, and even (laughs) Kamala Harris. I mean, even she she was more moderate as a, you know, as a candidate and as and as a senator, she has been. But but more left leaning than perhaps in the Biden. But still, then to think I love this is when they when they think we don't have elements of socialism already in our government, you know, a bailout of the banks. What do you think that was?
0: Yeah, that too big to fail thing is it, it still sticks with me as something that's insanely frustrating and you know there is a little bit i think on on both sides of and when i say both sides i mean the extreme ends of both sides um, yeah. where you know you can agree on 9 out of 10 things but the instant you disagree on that one little minute nuanced part of a topic you're now all of a sudden the enemy we could agree on everything right. but this little bit but now all of a sudden you're you know now you're you're against us and it's no i'm just trying to have an objective, more truthful understanding of what's going on. And and, uh, that's where my position is. Um, I think that social discourse is severely deteriorated over the last handful of decades because you can't, nowadays, we can't even talk to anybody about most topics without it turning into name calling and finger pointing and blame shifting and, and poor (sighs) excuses which to circle back to the beginning of our conversation, that's kind of what our government is right now. And that's all they do is shift blame and, you know, tell you who you should be blaming for your problems, which it's it's people that have nothing to do with why your problems are in existence.
1: Right. Right. And I think, um, I have a professor friend who likes to say, you know, the, the only reason they call people do this name calling, especially the, the Marxist or the fascist is because, they think it's, you know, like, it's just a conversation stopper. Right. You, like, because you, it's hard to go against that. It's usually hard to argue because you're just like, what? <laughs> no. Yeah. But it's the it doesn't of, get anywhere.
0: Yeah. It's the instant of putting, ending a conversation by putting somebody on the defensive, you know, kind of like, you know. Right. Something that I, I've seen happen a few times, you know, call somebody a fascist or a racist. And now you either are put in a position where I have to defend why I'm not those things which then can be easily turned. Well, you're only being so defensive because you know, it's true. And it's disingenuous to to have that kind of discourse. Exactly. So we've, uh, we've been chatting for almost a full hour. Um, (laughs) I greatly appreciate your time.
1: Oh, thanks. Well, it was fun. You uh, clearly, I enjoy talking about this stuff.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, (laughs) and like I said, I I appreciate you coming on and, and chatting with me and, um, I would love to have you back again in the future, maybe sometime after the election to, to see how the Oh, uh,
1: let's yeah, let's hope we, we get to have a different conversation in, in three months. I'd love to come back on.
0: Do you wanna throw out where people can can find you and your your podcast? Oh, yeah.
1: Yes, well you can um, find my political podcast at Estate Sale. Actually I should give you I'll give you the website but um for that maybe you can put in the show yeah, notes. Yeah, I'll put everything in show notes. You know, it's like (laughs) captivate.com slash estate sale. But anyway, if you look up estate sale, wherever you get your podcast, you'll find it. And um, you can find me on Twitter at Lori Volkman for my political insight. If you care about the Broncos, you can find me at Doc LLV, D-O-C-L-L-V. But that's strictly Broncos.
0: (laughs) Well, again, thank you very much for uh, for entertaining me and and being on. And I will definitely uh, reach out to have you back on. Sometime at the end of the year or the beginning of the new year.
1: Yeah, well, it was great to meet you. It was a great conversation. Best of luck to you, and I look forward to, I look forward to talking about our next Democratic president. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Definitely, and um, I will let you know when this is released.
1: All right, thanks so much, Mike. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of Adding Context. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Or visit us at addingcontext.com. You can also support our show via our Patreon. Send us feedback and show ideas to podcast at addingcontext.com.